thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're starting this series today of looking at this encounters of Jesus as he meets people. You know, I don't ever want the message of Jesus or the story of Jesus to be like a flannel graph. And you're like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know Jesus did this. I want it to come alive deeply in my heart. And I want it to come alive deeply in your heart as well because God is doing something through his word and his spirit every day and every, especially every time we gather. And so that's my heart today. As we look at this encounter of Jesus, he's going to encounter two people. That it changes the way we think. It alters the way we see people and it alters the way we see ourselves. And it also alters the way that we see Jesus. And really, this series is dedicated to two types of people. To those who have met Jesus and are walking with Jesus and those who have not met Jesus and you were searching for him. And I believe that God's going to speak to both of those people. And if you're searching today and, and you don't know Jesus, my hope is you leave here today with a new understanding that Jesus loves you and he is pursuing you. And everything in your life has brought you to this place for you to be here this Sunday. You're here not by accident because God brought you here. And I really believe that because he loves you enough to orchestrate the situations of your life to bring you here today. And God's going to speak to you. Don't be uncomfortable. Be open for God to speak to you. And for the rest of you who are in this church, and grew up in this church, I hope you're uncomfortable today. <laughs> and I hope you're challenged. And I hope God takes us to a new place. So we're going to be looking at two stories today. Two people from two different walks of life. And I'm going to kind of introduce you to them. And in just a moment, we're going to read them. And these two stories of these two people, one is at the top of society. The one, the other is at the bottom of society. One is an important religious person. One is not an important person at all. One is honored by most. One is honored by no one. One knows all the right people. One doesn't know any right people. One wears all the right clothes, eats at the right places. The others never really does anything right in the eyes of other people. One has lived in the shadows Her whole life, one has lived in the spotlight his whole life. But with the differences of these two people, they have one thing in common, is that one day they had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And after this encounter, their life was forever marked by Jesus Christ. And their life was forever changed. And that's my desire is that all of us after this series and after this message, your life will be marked in a unique, special way by Jesus. That Jesus would never become just the usual. He would become something that's always pushing you further, leading you further, bringing you to a fresh new place to know him more and to experience life more. And about these two stories, a lot of people have called them different things. A lot of um, writers and preachers and commentary folks have written, and they've called these two individuals different things because actually they appear in one chapter right after another. But one particular pastor and writer, his name is Timothy Keller, refers to these two people as the outcast and the insider. Or the insider and the outcast. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. 
In the context of John chapter 4 is Jesus comes to a well. He meets a woman at the well. And as you guys are turning that, I'll tell you a little story I heard about a well one time. These two boys who grew up in the country, they, uh, they went, they decided to go on a walk one day. So they went out across the farmland and they were just heading out and, and, uh, and they came to a well. And they looked inside they thought, man, this well is deep. I can't see the bottom. They said, well, let's throw something in it. Just like what, that's what boys would do. Let's throw something in it. So they picked up a rock and they went to the well and they threw this rock into the well and they listened they didn't hear anything. Well, let's get a bigger rock. So the boys went over, they picked up a big rock, and they, they brought it over, and they tossed it in the well, and they listened. They didn't hear anything. They thought, well, this is crazy. There has to be a bottom to this well. So then they saw there was a railroad tie. So they went over, they grabbed the railroad tie, and they drug, which is this really long, about 10-foot-long, big, thick thing that, that usually goes underneath railroad tracks, and they drug it all the way over to this well. And they, they tried it, they got it, got it on the edge, they leveraged it up, and they tossed it in. They listened, and then they heard this big crash and splash. Ah, that's the bottom. They said, well, there it is, there's the bottom. And they looked up, and they saw this goat running, running straight for the well, and the goat runs and jumps straight into the well. Said, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And a moment after that, this farmer walks up. He said, hey, have you guys seen my goat anywhere? They said, what, you won't believe it. Your goat just jumped into the well. And the farmer said, that's impossible because I tied him to a railroad tie. <laughs> There's something more significant going on at this well in John chapter 4. I promise you. <laughs> Jesus is traveling with his disciples through a place called Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, his disciples leave to get something to eat. And since Jesus has been walking a while, he's thirsty. So he comes to the well and about around noontime. It's in the heat of the day and he goes to the well, but he doesn't have anything to draw water out of the well. And as he's waiting there, a woman walks up at noontime in the heat of the day all by herself to draw water. And this is where we pick up this story. And let me just give you uh, just a side note to this. Today's message is hopefully going to challenge us very deeply. It's going to speak to us in a way that we're going to leave here with some questions in our mind. And I want it to be that way. I always love to give humor and, and to have a lot of fun. But today is, is, is my prayer that, that Jesus kind of, he, he puts his hand in our hearts a little bit. And begins to deal with some things in us. And so Jesus comes to the well. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. This is very important for you to understand. She says, what, what are you talking to me for? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, in other words, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. In other words, she doesn't understand what he's talking about. Where can you get this living water, she asked. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well that they were drinking from and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water 
will be thirsty again. So he's pointing to a, a natural well. Anyone who drinks from this well is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't, have to, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. And she responds, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. And when you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true, sir, the woman said. I can see that you're a prophet. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This conversation initiated by Jesus, simply this, will you give me a drink? If you were just reading the story, you would think this is, this is usual. There's nothing really going on here. But actually there's a lot going on here. Because as we just read, there are some contradictions here. Jesus is talking to a woman. She's saying, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And, and this is actually what's happening here is absolutely radical for the time. This is why she's shocked. This is why she's like, you, your kind don't speak to my kind. And just to give you a backstory, the Jews and the, Samarit the, the Samaritans were enemies. They were totally, they, they were against each other. The Jews don't even walk through this area of Samaria. Actually, if they're on a journey that would lead them to another place beyond Samaria, instead of walking through Samaria, which is the shorter route, they went around. They went to Jericho. They actually went miles out of their way so they wouldn't have to walk through this un-God-forsaken place. Because centuries before, what happened, the Babylonians came in, they conquered um, Jerusalem in this area, and some Jews stayed behind. Those Jews married Canaanites. And that's a no-no. If you're a Jew, you don't marry a Canaanite, but they did. And then they took the Jewish religion, and they took the Canaanite religion, and they merged them, and they built their own temple, actually, in this place of Samaria. And so for the Jews, when they saw the Samaritans, and so the Jews married the Canaanites, Canaanites married the Jews, they created their own tribe called the, called the Samaritans, and the Jews saw them as inferior. Actually, the Jews saw them as heretics. Actually, the Jews saw them as they are gone, they are doomed, no one should associate with them because they've corrupted what we know to be true. And actually, on top of this, Jesus shouldn't be talking to them because of religious reasons. On another side, a Jewish leader or a Jewish man is never to speak to a strange woman in public. Matter of fact, I was reading some of the commentaries. There were some of these Jewish leaders or rabbis that the nickname was they were black and blue rabbis. And the reason being is when a woman would walk by, not only would they not speak to them, they would cover their eyes and many times they would run into things. And they were black and blue. I'm not joking about that. That's actually true. And you stayed away from the strange woman on the street. And here's Jesus, a religious leader in Samaria, talking to a Samaritan and speaking to a strange woman. When you look even further, you find this woman coming to the well at noontime. Well, noontime is not the time women come to wells. Women come in the morning. 
when it's cool to get their water for the day. But this woman came all by herself. She was alone. She was alone on purpose. Why? I, I believe she was doing this because she was an outcast. Not just with the Jews, not just with the Jewish men, but she was an outcast even in her own society because of some of the things that we've read here this morning. So when she comes face to face with Jesus, it's like she's hiding her face. She doesn't, she doesn't want Jesus to see her. And she just thinks, I'm just going to go about my own business. I'm just going to be in my own world. He's a Jewish man. He shouldn't be here. I'm hiding. I don't want anyone to see me. She's, again, living in the shadows because of some of the mistakes she's made in her life. And Jesus, Jesus deliberately addresses her face to face. He begins to have this conversation with her. And as you read this passage, it's almost as though her chin is being lifted at every conversation and every word that Jesus is saying to her. And Jesus at this moment, this is something we can learn and speak to us from. Jesus at this moment is crossing religious barriers. He's crossing cultural barriers. He's crossing gender barriers. And he's reaching into the life of this woman to accomplish something. And all this woman knew was rules. She knew the rules. And the rules said that a religious Jewish man would have nothing to do with her. But Jesus didn't care. This man is different than the other people. Jesus did whatever it took to connect with her. And what's interesting is that in his desire to intentionally connect with this woman, this broken woman, he's just not loving and gracious he uses lovingness and graciousness to confront her with areas of her life and to speak to her about some things. And he begins to talk to her about this living water that to her was totally didn't make any sense. A living water, real water, I, I'm kind of confused. And there's a reason that he's talking to her about water at the well. Because for all of us, listen, we can go to a, a water fountain anytime we want. We can go to a faucet, get water anytime we want. We, we can stop and get a bottle of water. Water is never an issue for us. But for these people, you had to have water to survive. A well is very important. And if your well went dry, then you were doomed for death. And so what Jesus was saying is, I'm engaging with you with something that is as basic and as necessary as this water in this well. I'm giving you something that will sustain your life. And he begins to encounter and speak to this woman in unique ways. And so why would Jesus mention this living water? And Jesus is saying this, I've got something for you that is as basic for your spirituality as this water is for you physically. And without it, without what I'm offering you, you are utterly and totally and absolutely lost. I believe that's one of the things that God's saying to us today as we're looking at this face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. That if we do not have everything that Jesus is offering, that you are totally and absolutely and utterly lost. Not only is what Jesus offering life-saving, but Jesus says these strange words. He says it will satisfy you. Most of the time when we think of Christianity, or you think of the work of Jesus, you don't think of the satisfaction. The world and everyone else thinks that this this relationship with Jesus doesn't satisfy us. We go through life always wanting what they have. That's the furthest from the truth. 
Jesus is saying that if you get what I'm offering, it will actually become a spring of water in your belly, bubbling up and transforming your life and the lives around you. And it will be a satisfaction that doesn't come, I want you to hear this for a moment, does not come from the outside, but comes from the inside. And this is the key in which Jesus is dealing with, the outside versus the inside. Jesus is saying to her, and he's saying to us as well in this passage, in these two stories, particularly this one, that there is nothing on the outside of you that can satisfy the thirst you have on the inside. But this is not the world we live in, is it? We live in a world that is constantly looking to be satisfied from what is out here. I must be satisfied, so I must do something, get something, be something. Most of us, actually, because of how busy life is, and listen, as, I've, as I was studying this message this week, I was deeply challenged in areas of my own life. Most of us do, don't, do not realize how thirsty we really are. Many of us continue to chase the mirage on the, on the horizon, trying to, or if I just get to there, if I can just reach that, then I'll be happy. If I can just accomplish this, then I'll be happy. If I can just get a boyfriend, if I can just get a girlfriend, if I can just get a husband, if I can just get a wife, if I can just get some money, if I can just get a position, if I just keep, I'm going to keep moving and striving and trying, and if I get there, then I'll be happy. And we think it's real. We think that's real. We think that's actually what we're looking for. And we think it will satisfy. We think it will quench our thirst. But as we continue to strive, as we continue to look, if we continue to, to try to reach and, and grab all these things and head towards the mirage, what happens is we find ourselves in the middle of a desert and our tongue is swollen and our skin is burnt and we realize I'm not satisfied and I'll never reach it. And Jesus uses this interaction with this woman and I believe this interaction with us today to really show us what we're thirsty for. Because Jesus knows that we can have everything we want and still be unhappy and without any inner peace. You can have everything you want and you realize you don't have anything you need. Jesus knows this. I mean, this is, this is the story he's been telling from 2,000 years ago. That he knows that if, if you think you can get it from there, you will find that you can't. I mean, you look at the stories of people all over the world who have everything. Everything. They've got the right job, the right position, the right house, the right car, enough money in the bank, and they are still unhappy. They have all the, they're, they're popular, they have the, the right husband, the right wife, the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend, the right whatever, and guess what? They're still unhappy, and they still do not have any inner peace. And we all at times look to other things to fulfill our inner peace. It's interesting also in this passage that Jesus is talking to this woman about worship. 
Because if, if what we worship is what we're looking to, in other words, if I say I, I worship God, that means I'm looking to God. It's impossible for me to say I'm worshiping God if I'm looking to something else. And Jesus is talking about worship here. And I believe Jesus is saying this, if I am not the object of your worship, then whatever else you were looking to, it's going to fail you. That's what he's telling this woman. I'm standing right here. It's going to fail you. I want to read to you guys a quote from a guy named David Foster Wallace. He was a, he's, he's not a Christian. He's an award-winning, best-selling postmodern novelist. He's known all over the world. And actually, tragically, he committed suicide. But he gave a commencement speech at a college graduation. And he spoke to the graduating class. And he said this. I want you to hear these. These, these words are, they are they're profound. He says this. Everybody worships. The only choice is that we have is what we are going to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning of life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And then when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid all the time. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid and a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Here's the deal. Wallace by no means was a religious man, but he did understand that everybody worships something. And he did understand it matters what you are worshiping. It matters what or where or who you were looking to to meet your needs. Jesus asked this woman to do something that actually really gets directly to this point. He asked her in John 4, go call your husband and come back. Again, he was pulling back the curtains of her heart and she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. She said, what you've said is actually quite true. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus ask this question of her? Couldn't he have just given her living water? Couldn't he have just said, here, here, accept me. I'm the Messiah. Here, I will give you life. He could, he could have done that, but he didn't. He had to reveal something in her heart first before she could receive what he had to offer. Did he do it to embarrass her? Did he do it to humiliate her? No, he, he wasn't making a point. He'd already crossed all the barriers, and actually he had jeopardized his own, his own credibility just by having a conversation with her. The reason he asked her to do this, the reason why he brings up her history with men is to reveal to her that she's actually been trying to quench her thirst on her own through men, through relationships. And he just cut straight to the, to the case with her. And again, he needed to expose where she had been looking to, where she had been drinking from, where she had been trying to get her needs met so that she could see the need of his living water, what he was giving to her. Now I want to turn and look at the insider. 
This is a very religious man we're going to look at. He's a, he's a well-known man, well-honored, seems to have everything in place. And we come to Jesus' face-to-face encounter in John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He had arrived. He was invited to sit. He was a part of this ruling council. He was a man with leadership and influence. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with them. And Jesus replied. Now listen to how, look how he he reacts a little differently. Jesus says, very, li- verily, sorry, that's my old King James. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And he says, how can someone be born when, when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. In other words, you have to be naturally born and you have to be spirit born in order to enter the kingdom of God. Because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying this, Nicodemus. In other words, you should know better. You must be born again. This man couldn't be any more opposite than the woman we just heard. He has all the right titles. He has all the right letters before his name. Graduated from the right college. Grew up in the right neighborhood. Has the right last name. He's special. Now he finds himself in this right seat in the right council. I mean, come on. He's a religious man. And this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, he deals with this man. He kind of, he cuts through all of, the, all of the stuff, all of how important this guy thinks he is. And he cuts straight to it. He doesn't mess around. He gets to the point and he nails him and he says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. I mean, this man, I, I thought he was drinking from the right well. He looked like he was. He had, you know, he was He was perfect. But Jesus basically tells him, you're not drinking from the right well, son. And Nicodemus says, well, that's, how, how am I born again? How is that even going to happen? I think Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you have lots of spiritual accomplishments. You've been in church your whole life. You grew up in, in church your whole life. He actually said, You can't even see or enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And basically, Jesus was saying, listen, you're not born again. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus, it doesn't matter where you come from, how special you are, how much experience you have. You know, I've had the opportunity of being in a lot of different churches, ministering in several churches across the U.S. and around the world. And there's always those people who think the first thing they need to tell you about is how long they've been in that church. Well, I've been in this church for 40 years. Okay. Well, I've done this, and and they're not telling you just to have conversations. They're telling you to let you know that they're important. They're telling you to let you know that they've been around, and they're going to be watching you. They wear the right, the right things and they, they walk around like they own the joint. But someone walks in the church that maybe doesn't fit 
And man, they will run them out of there quicker than anything. Because they're like Nicodemus. They've arrived. They sit on the council. They're an elder. They've been teaching this. They've been doing that. But yet their hearts are not synced up with God. They're getting their worth and their value because of who they are. How long they've been there. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you can't earn your approval, son. You can't earn your salvation with God just like you can't be You can't choose to be born. In other words, listen, Nicodemus, you get no credit for your mama giving you birth. You didn't do anything. The same way with coming to know me. Same way with coming to a place of actually earning my approval. Listen, it is only by God's grace and God's grace alone that you are saved. And it's only by God's grace that that you are seen in my eyes as my son. It has nothing to do with your works. Yes, Faith without works is dead, but works to prove your faith is religion. And Jesus was calling him on it. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, stop looking to your prestige. Stop looking to your position to satisfy you. You can't satisfy the longing of your heart by a position. Nothing on the outside can meet the needs that you really have on the inside. Nicodemus, if you think your goodness is helping your salvation or your worth, you know what you're doing? You're trying to be your own savior, son. You're drinking from your cup. You're not drinking from my cup. You're trusting in your cup. And no matter how much you convince yourself, no matter how, how, many, how many special dinners you get invited to, no matter how much the people around you convince you you're drinking from the right cup, you're not drinking from the right cup. You need to be born again. You need to drink from my cup. And this is what's interesting. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised by me saying you need to be born again. As I was reading this, I thought, you know, that's probably a lot of Christians. Maybe we can relate to Nicodemus' story. Maybe we've spent our life trying to Get our value and our worth from how good we are. But Jesus says, you should know better. We experienced, all of us, the love of God. And we were saved solely because Jesus knocked on the doors of our hearts. And he showed us that we needed him. And we said, yes, I do need you. And he came in and he saved us. He transformed us. But after a while, we we start to try to prove to God that we're worthy of his love. And we try to prove to God that we have value. We try to prove to ourselves that we have value. These two people, the Samaritan woman and the religious leader, Jesus meets them both. One's the outcast, one's broken, one's lonely, one is the insider, one is religious, one is seemingly put all together, but both, the Samaritan and Nicodemus, are brought to this place by their face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and they are shown that they are equal sinners in need of grace. That's very difficult for us as church people, huh? Yes, we're saved, and amen, we're God, God's hand is in our life, we're moving forward. But so many times we see ourselves so differently than 
the lost person at the bar on a Saturday night. So many times we see ourselves differently than the person who has had multiple relationships over and over and over again. And we, we kind of look down on them as, well, I've arrived and apparently you haven't. We forget that it's the same grace that saved you. The same love of a father that wants to save them. And we forget that we are the channel by which God wants to express that love to them. We forget. Jesus sees us exactly the same. Yes, now we are a son or we are a daughter of God. But without his grace, we would not be. And I think the difference of, or, or the, the comparison of Nicodemus and the comparison of the Samaritan woman comes down to this one word that gets used a lot in church. And rightfully so, but it's how it's used is what matters. It's this word, sin. And one of the definitions I saw of sin is this. Sin is trying to get your needs met from somewhere else besides God. Independence. We're all born as a sinner, but then we continue to get our needs met from somewhere else besides God. Nicodemus was loaded with spiritual accomplishments. He'd been through seminary. He was a pastor. He had the, he had the plate on his door. It says, Pastor Nicodemus. He had his own parking spot. And a woman whose journey of life is riddled with mistakes and one broken relationship after another, but as far as Jesus is concerned, they were both equally as lost. They both needed to drink the living water that he had to offer. This word sin, you know, it's, it's used a lot of times to push people away. It's used a lot of times to, to keep people at a distance from us Christian folks. Oh, they've got sin in their lives. Stay away. But do you notice how Jesus uses sin? He uses exposing sin in someone's life not to push them away, but to engage them. To reveal something about their lives. And the danger with using sin to, to kind of keep people away and to kind of point it at people. Timothy Keller says this. He said, sin will always recoil on anyone who tries to use it as a weapon because no one can escape the verdict of being a sinner. No one. When you use sin as a weapon to push people away, to kill people, to slay them, to, to kind of make yourself better, it's going to recoil every time. But Jesus always uses the issue of sin to engage people, to pull back the curtains of their heart and show them they are looking to something or someone else to be their salvation. You can be saved, and you can be drinking from the wrong well. 
You've, you've tasted your eternal life is secure. You're going to heaven, and that's not changing. But along the way, you started drinking from another well to try to find your value and your worth. Jesus saw actually through both of them, and he saw exactly what they needed. And the reality is this for all of us today. I told you this message is challenging. Everyone is guilty. And then here's, here's the other, other statement I want you to hear. Every one of us in this room is thirsty. And Jesus uses the conviction of sin, which is looking to something else to meet the needs that only God can meet, to show us how thirsty we really are. And once he shows us, once he shows us how empty, once all of a sudden we realize that our tongue is swollen, that actually we've been drinking from this one place and it's never satisfied, he then offers us living water. So what can we learn from these two stories? What can we learn that when we come face to face with Jesus, something changes in us? So when you come face to face with Jesus, the first one is this. We need to know that he sees you for who you really are. You don't, listen, you don't have to do any song and dance for God because he sees through it all. He sees you just the way you are. He sees all your brokenness. He sees all your hurting. He sees all your mistakes. He sees the wells that you keep returning to to drink from. He sees it all. And this is what we, we see in this encounter. When Jesus encounters the woman, he sees it all. And he still engages her and loves her. When he encounters Nicodemus, the religious leaders, he sees it all immediately. Just cuts straight through it. And you need to know that in this God that pursues you, that loves you, he wants to know you, nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. And if we totally understood that, when we come to God and we feel his presence and we feel his love and we realize we need him, we wouldn't start thinking, well, i got to take care of this before I come to him because he won't be happy about this. He sees it anyway. That's why he's coming to you. He wants to deal with these things in your life. And most of us carry our brokenness around with us our whole lives because we think we can hide it. This is simple, but it's very important. God sees it all anyway, so you might as well surrender it all to him anyway. You need to know this, that Jesus sees you for who you really are. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on airs and act like something you're not. No matter where you are today, no matter what your journey is, no matter what you're going through, Jesus, when you come face to face with him, is for one reason and for one reason only, so that you can draw nearer to him and he can satisfy you with the drink that only he can offer. That's why he encounters you. You need to know you were loved today. You need to understand that Scripture says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. In other words, he knew you were a sinner, and he still died on the cross for you out of his love for you and love for the Father. The second thing that is revealed when we come face to face with Jesus is that he reveals your sin so you can finally have freedom. 
So many people think Jesus is just out to get me. He's out to make me feel bad. He's out to hurt me. He's out to take something from me. Listen, Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save it. His whole motivation was to save, to rescue, to love. He reveals your sin so you can finally have freedom. Jesus doesn't reveal your sin to embarrass you. He exposes your sin to engage you and to bring you freedom. And what's interesting is when we're drinking from these wells that aren't Jesus Christ, you know what the enemy makes you feel? The enemy makes you feel like you're finally tasting something. You're finally living your life. You're finally being you. You're finally getting what everyone else told you you can't have. The church told you you couldn't have it. You're finally living, but you don't realize you're actually on your way to death because you're drinking from a, from a well that will leave you dry, broke, busted, and disgusted. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman thought their needs were being met. And sin feels like it's quenching your thirst. But we all know it's not. We all know it's not. I spent a lot of my ministry working with students in high school. And so many conversations that I had with them, they thought that a sexual relationship would make them feel loved. But it didn't. They thought Another relationship would help them, but it didn't. And young people, over and over and over again. Then I had the privilege of working with adults. Sometimes youth are better, actually. They're a lot easier, that's for sure. Less complicated. And guess what? The same thing. They thought that in order to numb their pain, just, just have three glasses of wine. To have this prescription drug. And they're trying to drink from something that could satisfy. And in the end, in the abuse of it, guess what? They're still thirsty. It's all a counterfeit to the real thing. That's what Jesus is doing. He is gently and directly revealing things in our lives as believers and with non-believers. And he doesn't leave us hanging. And he offers us the freedom that we're all actually searching for. And he offers us the life that we all really want. It's a life of freedom. I want the life of freedom. In every year of my life. This is not a, a touch on the, on the head at one moment of, of a prayer. This is a decision to walk it out. And just like, just like drinking from another well feels like you're, you're, uh, you're finally living, but you're actually on your way to death. Many times when you make this decision, I'm not going to drink from those wells anymore. And you make it to say, I'm turning away from them. It feels like you're dying. Because you, you're trying to reprogram your 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 mind, your emotions, to not look to those wells anymore to satisfy you, but to look to Jesus. And you feel like you're dying. In many ways, you are. Your flesh is dying. 
Jesus says, I have what you've been looking for. But that feeling of death or feeling, I don't know how it's going to work. Many of you are sitting here today thinking, I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can turn away from those wells. But what about this? And, but I really need this and I, and I really need that. Listen, it's a daily decision that you're going to only drink from the well of Jesus Christ. It's a daily decision. Today, I will only get my value and my worth and my approval from God. And I will only get my needs met, physical, emotional, and spiritual, from Jesus. Number three, when you come face to face with God, he reveals that you can't earn his love, but you can accept it. Nicodemus in all of his glory and earthly righteousness still came up short. Your moral performance and your religious acts, they cannot die for your sins. Only Jesus died. And because he died for your sins, you can be forgiven. Our life change of Jesus Christ starts at the cross. And when you begin to to try to live your life in a way that you get all this value and worth from, from how good you look, is the moment you need to come back to the cross. A life change happens. Yes, your life has changed. Yes, you start living differently. Yes, you make a decision. I'm not going to return to those wells anymore. But it first starts with Jesus. There was a time in my life when I didn't have peace. There was a time I was struggling through some things. And I remember I was crying out to God, like, God, give me a place. Give me a position. Really what I was saying, give me a worth. Give me something I can do for you and prove that I'm doing for you. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, I first want to teach you how to be a son before you can do anything for me. And I realize God is more concerned about me being versus me doing I think that's a word for some of you. God is less concerned about you doing and more concerned about you being a son or a daughter. Stop looking at doing and start looking at being a son, being a daughter. And the last one is this. When you come face to face with Jesus, he offers you living water. And if you drink and keep drinking, you will never thirst again. The key here is keep drinking. Because you're always going to have an opportunity to drink another cup from somewhere else. Just because you are saved does not mean the opportunity of drinking from another well, from another cup, is just going to stay away from you. It's not. You're always going to have more wells that you can drink from. And you may be drinking from good cups, from good opportunities. But if you are drinking from a cup for value or for worth, or try to prove that you are loved by God or accepted by God, then it's time to go back and drink some living water. Nicodemus was drinking from power, from position, from prestige. And Jesus cut to the chase and said, listen, it will never be enough. The Samaritan woman was drinking from relationships after relationships after relationships to get her value, to get her worth, to get her needs met. And Jesus let her know it will never be enough. The same Jesus that has died, who met these precious people that we just read about, who died and rose from the dead, he's the same Jesus that meets us every day, every morning, every night, as we sleep, as we wake, that says this, do you want some more? 
Do you want some more living water? I'm always extending it. I'm always giving it to you. It's yours to have. And we just have to make the decision, I'm going to drink from your cup and only your cup. The whole purpose of even the work that he's doing right now into your hearts is not to condemn you, not to make you feel uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable when God begins to deal with these areas. It's uncomfortable. But he's doing it to pull back the curtains of your heart so you can see how empty your cup actually really is. He shows you for what it really is. And then he says, do you want to drink from me now? And that's God's desire for you and for me that we would drink from his cup and only his cup. And I think even in this room, there are many of us who would admit there are areas of my life that I'm just not satisfied. There are areas of your life that you are, you've, you've just fallen into a habit of trying to get a value, trying to get your needs met by a particular well. Everyone in this room. I know every person in this room is thirsty. I know you're searching. But I promise you, if you'll come to Jesus, he'll satisfy you. Jesus offers the fear-quenching, anxiety-quenching, insecure-quenching, position-thirst, relationship-quenching, soul-thirsting drink called himself and if you drink of him and if you keep drinking from him you will never thirst again we hope that this message has spoken something personal to you if you would like more information about our church family or service times please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website www.fbci.org Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.